and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about news of the world, and I'm happy to be joined by my usual animation correspondent, Joe Morgan, to talk about something live action. Joe, how's it going? Good. Big Tom Hanks cowboy movie fan here. Yeah, so I guess it's not the... <laughs> I, guess, I guess in theory, it's the second time you've joined for a Tom Hanks cowboy movie since like we did Toy Story 4. Jesus, I was about to say last year, but like again, time doesn't matter. That was uh, more than like almost two years ago now, I guess. Uh, and I'm also joined by uh, Fred Cobb to talk about a non-James Bond movie for maybe like the first time in almost a calendar year. Fred, how's it going? Oh, we're not talking about Bond movies, but I prepped for that. I mean, like, if, I mean, if there's a if there's a James Bond western out there, maybe you have an interesting west, um, reference point. But I don't know. I guess there's not. That's, that should be a good idea to give the powers that be, though, at some point. You know. So. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, I mean, they haven't, they haven't announced the next guy yet, so maybe they can go for a traditional western type actor for the next Bond. Hey, we'll I mean, they might need to just totally change the aesthetic at that point. You never know. Uh, but, uh, yeah, news of the world, which I mean, up until like maybe th- two weeks ago, you could have told me it was like Tom Hanks playing like a media magnate in the 21st century. And I would have not been, would have been none for the wiser, but even though this movie had gotten like a lot of buzz and stuff, I think it would have been like a bigger deal if like we actually had movie theaters right now, but we don't, uh, but news of the world doesn't take place in the 21st century. It takes place in the 19th century in reconstruction specifically. And Tom Hanks plays, uh, Captain Jefferson, Kyle Kidd, a former, uh, Confederate soldier who now makes a living traveling from town to town in the south largely in texas reading the news to residents of various towns for 10 cents a person one day while in his travels he encounters an overturned wagon he sees a then he sees a lynched uh a uh, black free man and then just a young uh, white girl named joanna who is uh, dressed in native american clothing and doesn't speak any english uh he comes to learn that uh joanna's family was killed by uh native americans the kiwa when she was young and she was raised by them as their own and then at some point was uh kind of supposed to be transported to other family that she had after leaving the i guess leaving the uh custody of the kiowa and uh he also finds through some of the papers on her that like she was originally part of like a a, a german family and that she has like an aunt and an aunt and uncle that lives somewhere else in the state and he's going to try and return her to the proper authorities to get her to that family the proper authorities cannot be of much help so uh captain kid decides he's going to take it upon himself to transport her back to her family uh and then you know it's not the smoothest trip uh, I guess uh, I guess I'll start with you, Joe, because I'm kind of interested to hear you talk about a uh, uh, a non-animated movie for the first time in a while. And I'm, you, you actually first broached the idea of talking about this movie to me because you are actually a big Tom Hanks person too. But and it also feels like, guys, I don't know if you have this feeling. It feels like Tom Hanks should have been in a western before now. It just seems like he's been around for so long. He might have just done one. And we joked about Toy Story. He's uh, obviously very well known for being the voice of an animated cowboy, but never actually been in a western. So, Joe, I'm curious. Uh, do you have a much of a relationship with the genre and whether or not you do like how do you think tom hanks did in kind of sliding into this kind of role as like a cowboy in this point in time you know it's pretty interesting i'm not i'm like i guess a casual fan of westerns like i haven't seen like all the famous ones or anything like that uh i was mainly attracted to it because for tom hanks to finally do a western that doesn't involve him with a pole string <laughs> uh, i was pretty interested to see what it would be and um i also am particularly fond of uh, Captain Phillips and um, Tom Hanks's performance in that, assisting that Paul Greengrass was directing that. I thought this one would be a pretty fun one to watch. And then um, I was kind of curious to see how he'd slide into that Western landscape. But then, like, this was like 
maybe the most Tom Hanksian Western you could possibly make. <laughs> I didn't know that. I mean, I guess there, he's such a history buff. I guess there was people who would go around and read the news, uh, to towns and, or, and I'm not sure what the, um, historical veracity of that is, but yeah, like, I mean, it, it felt, felt very Tom Hanks. So, um, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a good time. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, Fred. So I, I, I just kind of like guessed that like, oh, hey, maybe Fred would like to talk about this one. We didn't get to talk around the holiday movie season. And uh, maybe this is an interesting one that might be up his alley. It seemed like it kind of snuck up on you as well. Uh, I, similarly, I mean, I know you've done like a good job over the last couple of years of try, trying to go back and like watch old movies like I have. Have you gotten to revisit many old Westerns? And did this strike you as something that like really uh, was a good representation for the genre? And how did you feel it? you know, made use of Tom Hanks, who has a pretty particular set of skills. Mm. Watched a really big Western uh, just last weekend for the first time, actually, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Ah, interesting. So, uh, finally filled that, yeah, finally filled that particular hole. So I would say that this really didn't strike me as uh, a traditional Western, but more like a bonding slash road movie. Um, for which sure. Is probably why it, which is probably why it appealed to me, because... This didn't really occur to me while I was watching it, but in hindsight, um, that is actually the exact premise of one of my other favorite uh, Tom Hanks movies, which is Road to Perdition, Mm. where he and his son kind of take off and have to escape from a a bunch of gangsters who have decided to take him out after he's seen something he wasn't supposed to. Also a Paul Newman Um, movie. Yes, indeed. So uh, a lot of little connections here. You know, the interesting thing about Tom Hanks is, I mean, obviously, like when we think back, we think of him as this sort of like fun, enjoyable guy in the romantic comedy genre, like Sleepless in Seattle, you've got mail. And this was the first time it really hit me that Tom Hanks has gotten old. <laughs> I don't necessarily mean that in a bad way. I mean, he's kind of grown into these parts and uh, Captain Kidd, I mean, what, what a name, first of all. Um, <laughs> he's this really sort of just melancholy guy who, you know, a couple of years ago, I would really wouldn't have seen Tom Hanks in this sort of part. But now that he's a bit older, the beard helps. Um, he was also one of the first big celebrities who got COVID last year. So I think that sort of helped to uh, envision him as more of a, I don't want to say a fragile person, but, you know, somebody who is kind of getting to that stage in his life where he's a little bit more seasoned and um, older, more world-weary characters suit him better. And I think he was really, I mean, the perfect guy for this material. And this was really one of the more... Um, just fascinating parts I've seen him in in a while. So yeah, this definitely worked for me. Well, have you have you seen Captain Phillips? I have not actually, which is really the only Paul Greengrass movie that uh, I'm still missing, except for uh, United '93, which you know that's not really my kind of uh, movie. That's just like too depressing for me to really get much entertainment out of. Well, what's interesting is that I I saw he I, I would say I think Tom Hanks actually it might strike you like oh he actually started kind of playing an old over-the-hill kind of guy when if you did watch Captain Phillips, but if you haven't seen mm-hmm. that, maybe not as, quite as many reference points for that. But I've, I have I, I have seen that, and I had seen United 93, which, oddly, I did not realize until I was just, like, clicking around, preparing for the podcast. He got a Best Director Oscar nomination for United 93, and its only other nomination was Best Editing, which is very weird, and I did not realize that. Like, I, I just... It's just something I'd forgotten, even if I'm decent enough at Oscar trivia. But, like, as far as, like, Paul Greengrass himself, it's like, he's, like, you know, he's actually a kind of a fairly divisive director, in some circles just because people get a little tired of his shaky cam 
which I mean, I guess was a little innovative when uh, people first saw it in you know the Born Supremacy, the Born Supremacy. And I don't, I would say like, it's been a while since I watched United ninety three, but I don't recall it bothering me that much. Probably because if a plane's going down, it's the camera probably should shake. Uh, but I, I think I, I don't think I was quite as high on like Born Ultimatum as some people were. Uh, probably because of the like, just the way he moved the camera. And I actually like Captain Phillips. And again, like if you're on a boat that's like crazy shit's happening, like camera should probably shake but i really didn't like jason Bourne, uh which came out four years ago and it just the action really bothered me in it so as someone who uh maybe like you guys isn't like a western uh i'm not a, i'm not like a not super well versed in westerns i've tried to do a better job of watching them in the last couple of years uh watch i mean i watched uh the good the bad and the ugly uh during quarantine which i'd always mean meaning to get around to in my course of like trying to watch three hour movies i'd never seen i it kind of it kind of came up on the list and i did it and i really liked it so i'm like trying to open myself up more even if for a while i didn't consider myself much of a western person i think finally watching deadwood where i don't want to say finally watching deadwood because i'd watched it a little while back i watched it again in advance of the movie in 2019 uh uh, that kind of opened my eyes more again. And it was very odd when Ray McKinnon popped up on this, who plays the Reverend hmm. in Deadwood. And then all of a sudden he's just like in this movie. And it's like, whoa, because I was already getting Deadwood vibes because in Deadwood, within the first few episodes, they uh, recover a white girl after the Indians kill her family. Uh, and I, uh, so it was very odd to see him pop up. But my point being, when I finally found out that this wasn't a movie about a 21st century media magnet and about a, a guy and a, a guy and a young girl traversing the West uh, on a long journey, journey i was like man like this is gonna be very bizarre like paul greengrass is if he's gonna do paul greengrass things in this movie am i am i gonna like be put off by that am i gonna be like why, why are you doing this paul greengrass but it, i think a lot of people were kind of went in expecting that and i was pleasantly surprised because it's like not he kind of I, I think he gets out of get, gets out of the way and for, as opposed to the way you were worried he would get in the way and i was like okay i can enjoy just like looking at all the scenery enjoying tom hanks being tom hanks and i want to talk about some of the ways in which maybe that um Maybe this movie is supposed to, like, one, have some modern-day parallels. Uh, two, whether or not that character or kid, how tortured he is supposed to be by his time as a Confederate soldier. Because I've seen different reviews uh, maybe focus on that to varying extents. And I might not have actually gone there in my head that much while I was watching it. But I just enjoyed Tom Hanks doing the Tom Hanks thing. And in this movie, found him pretty charming and actually pretty adept at, like, doing the things that were a little more action-y, even when it called for it. Probably just because it's kind of cool seeing an old guy equip himself well with a gun. Like Fred said, I finally found out, oh, he's kind of old. This is kind of interesting. Joe, what, 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 what did you think about this movie as far as like a, maybe not being quite an action movie, but being a road movie, but also kind of handling the action well? Did you find like the filmmaking actually like pretty competent in a way that like, hey, maybe I shouldn't have like disjudged this based on like what I thought of the last board movie kind of way? Yeah, you know, like I'm not a huge fan of the Bourne movies, and it's not that it's not necessarily me commenting on their quality. I'm just not into uh, straight up actions, or at least not what they were selling, which is fine. But um, with this, like, I felt like you know, for example, the big shootout with the cowboys trying to kidnap Johanna in the mountains. I thought that was a really cool, like, tense action scene that they did there, and you know, and to like see Tom Hanks and something like that, you know. Fred mentioned uh, Road to Perdition, which was one of my early quarantine movies. I'd never seen it before huh. uh, early last year. But yeah, like it was really cool and I thought it was well shot and like the tension of it and everything and like spoilers, like Alma is on the top of the rock and everything. Like I thought that was like a cool staging of uh, that scene there and everything. So yeah, you know, like I really didn't feel like it got in the way of anything. And I think like, you know, like we've, like you guys have both mentioned before, like 
uh, green guys kind of getting out of the way a bit and like, you know, not having so much of his, uh, his flourishes in there. Like I really think benefits it. And honestly, like, you know, I read a couple of reviews before I hopped on here and, you know, people made reference to the shaky cam stuff. And honestly, like, I mean, that how he had included some of it in this movie. And I guess I didn't really notice it as I was watching. So I guess that means that either that was lost on me or, <laughs> or he maybe helped back a bit more, but yeah, that's all to say that. And then like the cart crash too, I think was like a really cool sequence and kind of horrifying actually. Well, yeah, maybe, and maybe, maybe that's what they are referring to some when they talk about shaky cam, because again, I, not to dwell on it too much, but it, it didn't bother me that much either. And uh, yeah. maybe it's cause like, it, it's a good time to use it. If you're going to do like a rickety carriage that is all of a sudden going to lose control. Hey, maybe that's like actually the best time to like, uh, use that tool in your toolbox. Uh, yeah. uh, Fred, Fred, I, uh, similarly, how, how did this movie strike you as something as like, a um, maybe not quite an action movie, but something that had some tense action scenes. Like I, I found that, uh, I found that shootout, like for a minute, I was like worried it was going on too long, but then it kind of gra- pulled me back in. Yeah. And I was going to mention that particular scene as well, because it's a staple in a lot of Western movies where you have, um, the protagonist, uh, and someone else escape into a Canyon or into the mountains uh, they have the high ground, and there is some kind of gun battle going on. Uh, and the interesting thing is, at that point, we don't really know yet how uh, adept Captain Kidd is actually with a gun. Like, he is not a marshal, he's not a gunslinger. So we don't really know how he's going to handle himself against those guys. And he's only, carry- always- he's only carrying around a gun with birdseed in it, for or birdshot in it, for most of the movie. Yeah, which is, again, why I was very appreciative that they found a pretty clever solution for how to use that particular weapon, as opposed yeah. to just him... Uh, using the traditional gun and shooting everyone. Um, And, you know, I think that, again, the absence of the shaky cam really helped that scene because it's a bit more of a serene type of action scene almost. And the comparison that I'm trying to uh, keep coming back to when comparing it, uh, did you guys watch, uh, I don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced, but uh, July 22nd, 22nd of July? The one that he did about the massacre in Norway? No, so I, I missed that oh, one. I missed that. Mm-hmm. So, so I did watch that one. And, I mean, it's just a harrowing watch, and it's really defined by that uh, shooting scene where the mass murderer just walks around on the island and picks up one kid after the next. You're really, you're really doing a great job of selling this movie and making me want to watch it. <laughs> oh, you, should, you shouldn't. I didn't care about that. I mean, like I said, it's the same reason I don't want to watch United 93 because it's right, right. really not something I want to watch for entertainment. Um. But that's like the quintessential Paul Greengrass, I almost hate to use the word action scene, but that's really what that was. And this is like so different than anything he's really done before, because again, he's not relying on those like hectic camera motions. And my understanding is that he delegated a lot of that stuff to his uh, cinematographer, Darius Wolski, who Mm -hmm. usually works with Ridley Scott, actually. He did Prometheus with him and The Martian and some of his other recent stuff. So my my understanding is that he... uh, was a bit of a good influence on Greengrass there in terms of just moving away a little bit from his uh, traditional trademarks as a director. Yeah, and we'll talk more about the uh, the actual little interlude when they go to this town called Erath, but I think there's like there's a bit of a, a shootout scene that happens after that, which I think is sounds a little different from what you're talking about in July 22 or July 22nd. I'm apologies to Paul Greengrass. I don't have the exact I don't know the exact name of it off the top. Just 22 July. Uh, no, there we go. Oh, okay. Yeah, but, but, yeah I wasn't entirely sure. But, but yeah, it, it sounds the, 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 where they're outside of Erath 
I think a lot of the tension in that scene is actually just kind of informed by what came before it and what we know about that town and the guy that's trying to lead that town and in how he might be threatened by what kid has just done in that town when he sent him there to do a very specific thing. I actually didn't like I, I, I found it kind of hard to follow the uh, actual escape from the town when his news reading there goes south. Uh, it was just kind of hectic. I didn't really get a lot out of that. Like when they're actually outside of it and uh, there's a bit of a standoff, I thought that was actually like really tense. And it shows how you can like generate a lot of tension uh, from a shootout without it being, you know, just like uh, – one shot then you go behind the wall to one person and then you go behind the wall to the other one you see them ring a shot out like i i just thought it it, it showed a different kind of level of discipline to be able to actually pull that off so uh good good job by him on that uh, you know i actually jumped ahead and i wanted to say one of the things that i actually found the most interesting about the movie aside from the fact that it felt unlike a paul greengrass movie was that i liked the i i kind of wish i and a lot of people have referenced um i guess a john wayne movie called the searchers which i haven't seen going back to this which apparently took place in a similar setting uh but like i actually thought it was interesting like how how much pop culture have you guys consumed that took place in the south during reconstruction uh because i sure haven't actually and i'm sure there's actually some out there and i just don't really know of it all that well but that was probably the thing that I found most interesting about the movie and thought it could have even interrogated more. And I'm wondering if you guys had thoughts about that as you watched it, because I found like the setting to be like the most interesting part of the movie for me overall. And the idea of like, you know, just like union union soldiers patrolling streets or I actually got a little bit of a kick out of it when uh, he was doing one of his news readings and these people just like booed Grant. Uh, and I was I, I mean, obviously, like. I'm, I'm, I, I, I wouldn't be on the side of people booing Graham, but I'm just saying I was like, oh, this is interesting window into this time and place. Uh, Joe, was that something you thought about as you were watching this and were like, oh, wow, this is like an interesting kind of, you know, uh, little cor- like w- window into a particular point in time where like these people are like still kind of trying to find their identity as like a region in this country? Yeah, I'm curious what the what uh, Greengrass's intent was with it and how far he wanted to take it. Because mm-hmm. um, obviously he could. Well, sorry, we, I should also say that this is actually adapted from a book that was uh, yeah. uh, published in 2016 by Paulette. Uh, G- I'm sorry if it's Giles or Julie's. It's spelled J I L E S. So it's published in 2016. So, uh, but adapted by Paul Greengrass. So Joe's right that he probably had some discretion in where he took this story. Yeah, I'm curious how much he how much was intentional and how or how much I guess I'm I guess I'm wondering because watching it and seeing the way they were talking about things and um that town meeting where where grant gets booed and they kind of talk about the union soldier occupation and then the conversation later with tom hanks uh sorry captain kidd and uh joanna on the on the wagon where they talked about um he's like you can't look back and then she's like you have to look back to go forward my brain just couldn't help but like think of the the capital insurrection last month you know, because that seems to be the ongoing debate. Like, you know, one side wants to move on, the other side wants to, you know, hold people accountable or to, in order to move forward, kind of thing. And I'm like, well, there's no way they could have known that when that because like they're probably like finishing up the the edit when all that stuff was going or already done. It might have already been in the can, but that's all to say, like, you could definitely see like there was at least some intention to comment on like how deeply divided the political spectrum seems to be right now, but I really didn't get, 
I really didn't get a strong POV on that, or perhaps like um, I missed it on first watching and would need to rewatch the movie. So, like, I don't know. Like, it's funny. Like, when uh, Tom Hanks is doing the reading in the town and he has to calm down that crowd, he like kind of preaches that message of unity or whatever. And I was like, oh, like you know, here's Tom Hanks. He uh, he sold the unity message on the inauguration special, and then here he is selling the unity message to a, a bunch of Texans in uh, Reconstruction era uh, in the Reconstruction era South. So I was like, okay, like, all right, yeah. So I couldn't I couldn't help my brain just going to those places. Fred, uh, I mean, were, were you thinking about a bunch of like modern day parallels, or just like, oh, I'm interested in more exploring the, Re- the the Southern Reconstruction? Because I I would say my I, I did think a little bit about the fact that this was like a, a book that was published in 2016, maybe presumably written in 2015 when uh, Donald Trump first made his comments about Mexicans and trying to keep them out, and we even have an interlude in this movie where they uh, go through a town who is trying to basically like, kind of keep out anything that's you know not in it's kind of run by like a guy that's trying to uh control everything and keep really kind of keep out any outside influence uh where was your head when you were kind of exploring this setting and what they might have been trying to say with it yeah that exact comparison you just alluded to actually very much crossed my mind as well because the movie is never very explicit about it which i appreciate it but the reality is that captain kidd is a very powerful man in many ways because he's really the one presenting these people with the news a lot of them are either illiterate or just don't have the time to really bother all that much because they have to do their farming. They have to put food on the table. Uh, daily survival is uh, challenging enough. They don't really want to read about stuff that goes on far away. So he has a very unique ability to sort of shape the narrative after the Civil War for these people because uh, what he chooses to tell them is really what they're going to absorb and what's going to be discussed in that town going forward in a lot of ways. And that particular scene where he sort of riles up the crowd um, when Mr. Farley wants him to read from his particular paper, the propaganda paper that talks about all the great stuff that he is doing. I mean, that is really the quintessential news bubble that a lot of people find themselves in because they hear about all of this awesome stuff that, I'm just going to say his name here, that Trump is doing. And if that's the only thing that they're consuming, of course they're going to think that this guy is the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then when you have Tom Hanks' character coming in, and all of a sudden he's telling them, yeah, but you know, in other places in this country, there are actually very courageous people who are standing up against that kind of oppression. All of a sudden, the bubble kind of bursts because these people, they're excited about it. They want to hear more about it. And all of a sudden, Mr. Farley, who's been in charge all of this time, is on the spot losing a lot of that power that he's had because now people are suddenly more informed. Yeah. And And that, I think, is really that parallel that the movie is very strong about showing us that in a way back then people were even less informed than they are now but once you're able to break through to them a little bit all of a sudden once you have that information available uh things aren't as clear cut anymore so i really enjoyed that part of it joe you're nodding did you have a point you wanted to make on that i want to to let you jump in i i really i really liked how fred brought up that scene and everything i completely am on board with that yeah no i i kind of agree with what fred said in that like I don't think the movie is too, like, overly didactic about that message or, like, it's not really beating you over the head with it. I I, I thought it is a actually pretty good way of, like, why it's advantageous for certain people to, like, keep keep their constituents um, ill-informed. And I thought it was a, a pretty good way of showing that. And, yeah, I mean, I, I might have been a little too informed by some outside stuff if I'm, like, 
thinking about when that book was published versus when Donald Trump uh, first kind of came into our lives as a political figure. Uh, but like, I, I didn't think it was really like, you know, beating me over the head with it in any way. And I, I thought that was one of like the, the stronger parts of, of the movie in that regard. And if anything, I, I, I almost would have liked to, to kind of just like explored even explored that aspect of the movie even more. Uh, how do you feel about, you know, you're, you're kind of, you, you explain Fred, what, what kid was doing and trying to like show these people like a much different side of things. How do you feel about like a, a former Confederate soldier being that messenger? Um, interestingly enough, <laughs> that's kind of the strength of an actor like Tom Hanks in that role. Because when you think Confederate soldier, you think uh, a sort of unsavory character who probably did a lot of bad stuff in his life and maybe isn't deserving of redemption. But of course, when it's Tom Hanks, all of a sudden you're a lot more forgiving because he just exudes that kind of charisma and personality. But a lot of times, you know, you really think about, was this guy really on board from the very beginning? I mean, a lot of people just ended up fighting in that war who, you know, didn't really get much of a choice. They were picked up from their farm or their um, home one day, and they were told, here, here's a gun, go fight for this <laughs> now. And, and, and you get the sense that he was, like, really, uh, like, he was doing pretty well for himself. Like, he said he had a newspaper business, he had a printing business. So the assumption is that, I mean, his goal in life was to inform people. And the way he uh, talks about the news at the beginning when he does his first presentation and says, you know, I'm here to tell you about all of these, like, great new uh, innovations that are happening in this country. I mean, that is really a very idealistic and optimistic viewpoint on the news. And when he was saying that, I was thinking, oh, that's how people used to see the news as something, like, positive and exciting. And then I almost felt ashamed about my cynicism because we've moved so far away from that, right? Like when yeah. you watch the news nowadays, a lot of times you feel angry and you feel upset about what's happening in the world. And the fact that someone like that um, made it his mission in life after the Civil War to like go to town and entertain people and make them feel optimistic about the future. Um, in a lot of ways, I think that was really quite an inspiring message. And again, not everybody is beyond redemption, especially somebody for whom we don't really know um, what his mindset was and his philosophies when he got pulled into the Civil War. Well, Joe, I want to I want to ask you to put on your uh, screenwriter hat and your Tom Hanks fan hat. Uh, do you think that the movie like should have examined further like his psyche as a Confederate general? Do you think that that story is told on his face as an actor. Cause I mean, I read a couple of reviews that seem to think that like the movie did a really good job of that. And like, you really kind of see this guy struggling and probably thinking about some of the terrible things he did. And if I was supposed to be thinking about that, I wasn't again, I still enjoyed what Tom Hanks is doing. So I don't count it as a huge knock against the movie, but uh, did, were you hoping to have them delve more into his psyche as someone that was reckoning with what he may, may or may not be of just like five years removed from doing? Uh, I guess it might be implied that maybe like his, a relationship with his wife like had some ignominious kind of end because of that i don't know but uh how did you think it, did you did, were you hoping to learn more about kid or do you think tom hanks just like brought so much to that performance that you kind of could felt like you knew the guy anyway you know like i would have liked to see a bit more of a bit more reminders about his confederate background because i could see how maybe it's lost on some people like you know you could theoretically we watch that movie and keep being like oh yeah like he fought for the confederacy you know but like because like you think about you know what tom hanks exudes on the screen and like how he you know he gets benefit of the doubt from the audience a lot it might have worked too like it could have i could see it maybe working too well in his favor with some viewers where you might need a bit more of a reminder of his past and everything but i mean i don't think the movie necessarily needed it but 
I would have been interested. I didn't, I don't think the movie needed it. I definitely wouldn't have uh, rejected it. I would have been interested to see more. No, I got you. And I think, uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I agree. Maybe it could have gone a little deeper on it at a couple points. I, I like the idea of having an actor the caliber of Bill Camp show up for 10 minutes at the end of your movie. Uh, I mean, because Bill Camp's great and he's just great in everything he does. And uh, it's kind of cool seeing him get to like go, go be, do a scene with Tom Hanks. Like I just, I like mm-hmm. that for him. Uh, but at the same time, like it seems like that's someone that kind of like, you know, probably knew him from a prior life a little bit. And uh, who knows, maybe there could have been a one prior interaction with him or like, I, I mean, I could have even like had that scene be twice as long though. Again, I do like the idea of get, bringing in someone like Bill Camp just for like, eight minutes like that's a that's kind of a flex and in the movie's own right that it can get him to do that uh but yeah a bit I, of uh, trivia about that by the way he's actually married to elizabeth marvel if you didn't know that who's also uh in the oh. movie as uh the I, I guess she's the bar owner or hotel owner who mm-hmm. first yeah. uh, talks to johanna in the kiowa language a bit so i didn't realize that until after i uh, read up on it a little bit afterwards and that was kind of cool <laughs> I did know that. I don't know how I knew that, but it's just something I've actually known for a while. I don't mean, I guess I've just kind of been aware of them. I'm not sure if they've been in the same movie before, but uh, they, um, they're both kind of like, you know, people that just like pop up and stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, Bill Camp's actually like popped up in like a decent amount of, uh, uh, Western type things. He was in Hostiles, which is, I thought was an underrated movie from 2017. Uh, I again, I really liked what Tom Hanks is doing in the movie, and I liked the movie overall. But I thought, hey, maybe that's one area it could have explored a little more because uh, we've been pretty positive. I'll say one thing: a criticism I have is that I thought the movie was a little slow to get going. And I know Fred might have a couple criticisms about the ending, which uh, I, I I actually might agree with. But I just thought the beginning, like, actually was like we're close to like the forty minute mark actually before he actually decided, you know what. I'm going to have to take her on this trip. <laughs> it's like, as soon as he sees her, like, you know, he's going to be the one to take her on the trip. Even if you don't really know, like what the movie's going to be about, like we might've known going in. It's like, you would know that's where it's headed. So I felt like it took a long time to get there. And it's like, I thought the movie maybe had a little space to like, not that I needed it to be any longer than it was. Cause I think this is like a two hour and 20 minute movie. Uh, but like, I think it could have actually like, you know, uh, taken a little more time to, uh, Actually, actually, it's just uh, it's actually just two hours, so I don't want to uh, be too hard on it. But like, I think there was space in there to maybe explore a little bit more what was going on with uh, his past, or just uh, what spend more time in that like Erath setting. I don't know. There's other areas I might have liked more, whereas I felt like that first part just like uh, you know might have just like kind of taken a while to like kind of get off the ground. Uh, Fred, I want to ask you about the end of this movie because mm. what we, we haven't really actually talked about. Um, we haven't really talked much about Elena Zengel, who's the actress that plays Joanna. It's an interesting role for like a young person to take on. She's a uh, German actress who uh, only speaks a little bit of German in this movie because she is like uh, playing a character that who, while she technically is German, was was raised by Native Americans and doesn't actually like, as far as we know, show that much of what she actually knows of her native language. But I, I, if you want to comment on her performance, go ahead because I think I think it's very good. But I'm curious, like, because uh, I, I invited you to do this uh, before I even knew about the German connections to it. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious to hear what your thoughts were on how the movie actually kind of handled that aspect of it. Because, uh, as I said, it takes a long time to get going, but then actually kind of wraps up relatively quickly once it, like, kind of gets past the um, the sandstorm and her uh, not going back with the Native Americans. And all of a sudden, then they find her people. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I agree. Her performance was good. But at the same time, I mean, this is the kind of story we've seen in Westerns a lot where like some old um, kind of 
miserable and melancholy guy like finds a chance at redemption because he comes across an orphan or a child that is lost and sort of takes him or her in and then they travel together and they bond obviously um and i think it's nice that you have that component where they can't really communicate in a lot of ways because there is that language barrier so i thought that added an interesting component to it uh and the character herself is also intriguing in the way that uh, initially it's not really clear what her relationship uh, with those Native Americans was who raised her, and it only becomes clear uh, somewhat slowly that she actually seemingly had a good life there and that she wants to go back there and that she was uh, raised well there to the point where she doesn't really want to go back to her German relatives because she doesn't really remember them. And you already mentioned my feelings about where this is all headed, so let me just ask you, is it okay if I go into spoiler territory here about how it ends, or do you want to hold off on that go to the go go you no know, that's a good jumping off point actually I, I hadn't even really planned on doing a spoiler section to this podcast but i think we've done a pretty good job of not really actually spoiling any real significant plot points and talking around it so i feel like that's a pretty good demarcation and i can just kind of put that timestamp in there uh when we do the podcast when i post the podcast so uh yeah we can actually uh talk about the end and any specifics of that and i think it sounds like all of us would still recommend people go watch this movie even though uh i think all of us would recommend people go watch this movie i think it's pretty clear but uh, at this point if you haven't seen it i think you can go away and come back in a little while and finish listening to the rest of our discussion. So, uh, Fred, uh, spoil away. Yeah, so in case you didn't know this yet, I am German, as I think Josh mentioned earlier. What? Already pretty explicitly. Yeah, I don't know if you said it explicitly, if you just said you invite, you were kind of interested in my uh, perspective on it because there are German characters in there. So I'm very tired of this old cliche that Germans in movies are always portrayed as cold-hearted, detached, aloof, Everything is always about hard work. You're not allowed to have fun. Stories are stupid. Um, one of my favorite German characters in a Western, and I mean, it's only a Western in the loosest sense, but I think it qualifies, uh, is the dentist Dr. King Schultz in Django Unchained. Because he is actually a very unusual German character in that sense that he's like passionate about stories. He's like genuinely interested in people. Um, like he's fun to talk to. And here, of course, Johanna's family turns out to be exactly those kinds of Germans that we've seen so often already. They're not really happy that she's there. Uh, they don't really care that she's traumatized. They just see a nuisance walking in that they have to take care of now, even though they're already drowning in work on the fields. And, you know, it bothers me because like Germans are actually really known for their uh, affection for stories. And to, for the uncle to be so dismissive about that really frustrated me. I mean, we invented fairy tales in a lot of ways. Disney wouldn't exist without us, like Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. Like, all those stories are German. And for him to just say, no, stories are a waste of time, we don't have time for stories, I thought it was a very unfortunate way to sort of emotionally manipulate the ending to a point where it was the obvious solution for Johanna to eventually join Captain Kidd. Because it just kind of, I think made the conflict a little bit too easily solved because, of course, she doesn't want to stay with those people if they're just a bunch of uh, meanies who don't appreciate her. So I, I, I thought that was a little 
clumsy. Well, but. it's interesting that uh, Dr. Schultz is, like, a character from a fairly specific point in time. And obviously, like, uh, uh, your family is a, b- a bit newer to America uh, than the Germans. Oh, well, yeah. Than the, 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 the Germans in this movie. But I, I am curious, like, did you have much an awareness of that being a thing? I'm, I'm assuming that, that the, 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 when, the, when this book was written, uh, the author based that in some kind of fact. I mean, was that something you were aware of even? Because that was something I wanted to ask you going in, like uh, Germans settling in that part of the country. Uh, do you, did you have any knowledge of that being an actual thing uh, and any understanding of like the way of life of those people? Uh, not really, to be honest. And I'm genuinely curious how they made it all the way to Texas because, I mean, obviously it's uh, even pretty far away from the East Coast. So I guess you would arrive... Uh, somewhere in one of those like big uh, port cities like Boston or New York and then make all, your way all the way down there. I mean, that, that's a pretty uh, perilous and uh, impressive journey to take for okay. uh, a life that ultimately, I guess, involves just working on the fields again. So that was a little uh, surprising to me that that was uh, the nationality that uh, we ultimately got to see there. Gotcha. I was curious, uh, just if, if that was something you even like knew about Germans like making their way west at all. I, I, I just I found that interesting, and I assumed it was based on some sort of fact. But uh, who knows? Oh, yeah, who knows? Uh, Joe, what 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 did you think of the ending of this movie? Because you know, in response to what Fred said, I would just say. I, I would I I kind of agree in that like maybe there would have been some other kind of external factor that could have uh, that could have been the impetus for them getting to the ending that they wanted to because I think we can all agree it's it's a fun nice feel good ending and that's fine like you I like that final image of her uh, you know being with kid uh, having been adopted by him being able to take part in that she does come to really appreciate stories as Fred that said that Germans do but uh, to get them to that <laughs> final scene you know it's it's kind of just like a little bit anticlimactic. He just like returns to a f- returns to their farm and she's just tied up and he's like, yeah, this isn't cool. I'll take her. And then that's it. I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't exactly know what I was expecting, but as I keep going back to, I, I thought like, I thought the union soldiers were like almost underutilized in this movie. Again, I just find that, uh, there was reconstruction to be like a really interesting era where I have not seen depicted much on screen. And it seemed like that or something else, would have given their it just seemed like in that the whole sequence in Erath, which we have talked about between that these union soldiers it seemed like there's plenty of other hostile presences that could have you know been the impetus to like expedite her reuniting with kid at the end so that that's kind of where i fall on it but did you have any feelings on the final act of the movie joe well, uh, who doesn't want Tom Hanks to be your dad? You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there definitely could have been more tension and more conflict, maybe a bit more difficult of a choice for uh, Johanna to ultimately go with Kid. Right. The last two, uh, the last two big things in this movie are like a, a dust storm and a a wagon crashing on its own. Like the, mm. it felt almost kind of like anticlimactic for like that to be like the the the, the final two big hurdles. After yeah. like, some pretty really dramatic stuff between that shootout and his uh, venturing into like Irath. Mm-hmm. And post Sandstorm, you know, there was like a moment where I thought maybe she would stay with the Kiowa or like at least it's sort of set up that way, you know. And, um, you know, maybe given the way the movie depicts the aunt and uncle versus the Kiowa, like maybe the more difficult decision in the end is if she is going to go with Captain Kidd or stay or stay with the natives, you know, so. Yeah, like a little, a little too simple of an ending there in the sense that there, it's not even like they fought Captain Kidd to keep her either. Like it was just sort of like the the mom's like, well, we tried our best with her, <laughs> and, then, and then he's like, okay, uh, you want to go? And she's like, 
yeah, I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's basically it. Cause and, uh, yeah, so de- they definitely could have made it more like, I think of, for example, like the end of Airbud, right. Um, like buddy I often think about that. <laughs> buddy has to choose between, uh, Josh Fram, right. That's the name. And, uh, the clown. And like, obviously he's going to pick Josh, but you know, like they built some tension in the scene. Right. And then, like the the clown brings out the newspaper. If you haven't seen Airbud, watch Airbud. Come on, okay. <laughs> clown brings out the newspaper. I can, I can you know? honestly say Airbud was a great movie to me in 1999, and that's about all I can say about Airbud. <laughs> but like, we even get the reversal in that scene of Air, a Buddy runs to the clown with the newspaper, then tears it out of his hands and runs to Josh at the end. You know, so like even that ending where we're like, yeah, he's obviously going to go with Josh. We get like that little like, uh, maybe not, and then we get it. So. You know, Paul Greengrass, pop in Airbud one of these days and, you know, <laughs> apply the lessons. I, I, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, <laughs> Paul Greengrass, go watch Airbud. Uh, that, that's to be the big, that's to be the big takeaway uh, from this podcast. Um, I guess, uh, fr- I don't know. I, I feel like you've uh, pretty well covered it. Hold on. Let me look at my notes one more time and then I'll cut this out. I feel like may- maybe I'm actually uh, forgetting something, but I think, I feel like we basically uh, got to, Everything. Uh, Fred, are, are there any other final points on this movie that I didn't touch on that you wanted to make? I don't think I had anything specific. I'm very curious. The Golden Globes are going to be uh, announced tomorrow, the nominations, that is. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued to see if uh, Tom Hanks gets some love. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, he won the Cecil B. DeMille Award uh, last year. He's always been a Globes favorite. So that seems like the most likely nomination. Um, Cinematography or something like that. You never know. I I, I have not been paying that much attention yet to the awards predictions, but... Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it's gotten some good buzz. I mean, Paul Greengrass is somebody who usually draws a couple of awards, especially in the technical categories. So, yeah. I I mean, I I thought it was good enough that it deserves some love from the awards shows, so I'm very curious to see how it uh, makes out tomorrow. You know, one thing I want to ask you, Fred, I mean, we, we just talked about the ending... Uh, was there ever a moment where you didn't think that the two of them were going to just end up riding off into the sunset? Uh, and, and, and if not, do you like hold that against the movie? Do you think it should have like actually like scared you into thinking that a kid might die? Um, the thought had occurred to me, actually. You know, and that's, again, why you know, Tom Hanks like, seeming a little bit uh, older and more world-weary in this movie, it really kind of kept me guessing for a while that there was a chance that he might not make it out of this alive. Um, I... After that um, shootout in the uh, in the mountains, there never really was a scene where it got to that point of danger again, where I genuinely thought, no, like he's actually not going to make it out alive. Uh, but the possibility was there. But I also read that Paul Greengrass, um, after making uh, 22nd of July, was so depressed that he wanted to make a movie with a happier ending, oh. <laughs> which I totally get. So I- I'm glad that he opted for that, uh, as opposed to going for something bleak again. So... You know, yeah, the thought had occurred to me for a while, and I think the movie did enough to uh, keep the possibility alive, uh, but I definitely prefer that they did end on that happier and more cheerful note. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that one, one, one criticism I read in a negative review was that, like, oh, I was never really in doubt, but I didn't see that, Tom, uh, that, that Paul Greengrass interview, so I actually kind of thought, oh, they, they, they might kill him off. Like, it, I, I, mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily getting, like, that happy of vibes from this. I mean, I don't know, Joe, on the whole... On- uh, regardless of whether or not th- this movie had ha- had enough airbutt in it, like, did you find it suspenseful <laughs> enough? Uh, even though you want Tom Hanks to be your dad, but like, were you were, were you worried enough for your dad's safety? I don't know. I just think I think it's an interesting question when a movie's not going to like 
it's not going to necessarily like finish with a bang like we've discussed. At the same time, I thought that the movie like you know had put us through enough harrowing journeys that like I kept thinking that like maybe it wouldn't be a straightforward ending, which I guess is a credit to it. <laughs> Shout out to my my actual biological father. I'm not. He went through such a harrowing thing in the in the shootout in the mountains, and then Erath. You know, like I I get wanting to just sort of, um, I don't know. Maybe maybe he goes down the. I don't know. Maybe you can do a death fake out in the car crash or something like that. But you know, I was, I'm happy to see Tom live. I don't want the Tom. I don't want Tom. Tom Hanks will never die. I don't want Tom Hanks to die. So <laughs> I got you. Road to Perdition was very scarring for that very reason. Oh yeah. Watch Road to Perdition. <laughs> yeah, uh, sure, sure. Uh, okay, yeah. Joe. Any 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 other final points you want to make before I make mine? No, you know it's enjoyable. If you like Tom Hanks, watch it. Um, if you've listened this far, you must like Tom Hanks, or if you have a weird thing where you hate him <laughs> just yeah you know i i agree on that and the one thing i'll say is that like i don't have a lot of basis for it again like i said once i watched deadwood and i maybe saw a couple other westerns like i i'm more into westerns than i previously thought i was i feel like i might have seen like one or two boring ones at one point or another that like made me think i didn't like them but now i'm like looking at my list of westerns that i like on letterbox when i sorted them by genre and there's like only like a couple that i've given like less than three stars to but you know i can understand why someone like might be like find the genre a little hard to get into if they think a lot of them are you know like too aesthetically similar and uh similar stories and whatnot but i think there's really a lot to like gain from various different ones whether it be something like i another one i watched in quarantine was mccabe and mrs miller the robert altman movie i watched treasure of the sierra madre Mm -hmm. uh and uh yeah and and those are good on top of like the different modern day ones but I just think like I think the setting of this one is interesting enough to like set it apart and give someone something different to chew on. Uh, and I just highly recommend it for that, if nothing else. But if you also like Tom Hanks or, you know, someone who likes Tom Hanks, I think they're going to dig this movie. And it's not as like straightforward and stodgy as one might just think from reading the logline. So uh, that's my uh, final uh, word on that. And I think we'd uh, all recommend it. And uh, Fred made the awards point And uh I think we're, people are going to be be able to listen to this like a day after the nominees are announced for Golden Globes, but before the Oscars. So uh, an awards discussion isn't necessarily unwarranted. But um, I don't I, like Fred said though. Uh, you know, like there's like cinematography and what was the other one you mentioned? Um, oh, Tom Hanks. Yeah, because like I don't know if he breaks an Oscar lineup, but like there's because it's like super competitive with Best Actor this year. But like Golden Globes, like it's a different story. It's wider field because you can sort some of the other dudes into like you know musical comedy. Uh, so uh, that'd be interesting to see him like back around award season. It's not going to be the same having him. Uh, people aren't going to be campaigning in the same way, but I would certainly not mind his presence myself. So uh, yeah, I definitely recommend everyone check this out. I don't know if I'd be like I. I I, the twenty dollar thing is weird. I th- that's one thing we didn't talk about. Like, I don't know, like, if our feelings would have been that much differently if it was on the big screen. I, I, who am I to say what someone should spend twenty dollars on? I think we all liked the movie enough that none of us regretted our purchase. But who knows? Like, I, if if someone had the opportunity to see this in a theater and they live in a place where it's safe to go to the theater, I think you'd probably even get more out of it than we did because I think we all really liked the look of it. Uh, F- Fred, uh, before we sign off, anything else you want to recommend that you've been watching recently? Um, I mean, we already talked about Road to Perdition quite a bit. That is something I definitely recommend. It is available on Prime Video. I just checked. So uh, do yourself a favor and watch that if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, Another great Tom Hanks one, Catch Me If You Can. That's currently on Netflix. So I'd also definitely uh, give that one a shout out. And uh, as far as uh, non-Tom Hanks stuff is concerned, (laughs) I would like to uh, 
point everyone to Hulu on February 19th. That is when Nomadland is coming out. Uh, definitely mark that in your calendar. Um, Josh and I, we were lucky enough to uh, watch it at a virtual uh, film festival uh, in late 2020 already. But for anyone who hasn't seen it yet, uh, that's definitely going to be one of the big awards contenders of the year and uh, definitely worth seeing. So again, February, February 19th, that one's coming to Hulu. Yeah, I'd forgotten until like recently that who got the distribution rights for it. So that's really cool that, I mean, obviously you got to be a Hulu subscriber, but it's not one where you're going to have to like, you know, pay 20 bucks or whatever, like that someone got those rights and it'll be a, a one that's easy to see widely. So highly recommend it. And we'll have a podcast dropping as soon as that goes wide. Uh, Joe, anything you want to recommend that you've been watching recently? I know you had a big, you moved last weekend, so I don't blame you if you haven't watched <laughs> much, but if you have anything else you want to shout out, do it. Uh, to Paul Greengrass specifically, watch Airbud, and then to everybody else. <laughs> uh, Tom Hanks should have been nominated for an Oscar for Captain Phillips. So if you haven't seen Captain Phillips yet, watch Captain Phillips. Um, it is, yeah, it is probably his best recent performance, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's, that's a good one. That, yeah, that's a really good point. Shoot, I had, like, a list of, like, uh, Tom Hanks performances, like, pulled up before. Oh, here here it is. And I, I actually might agree with that statement. I actually, uh, I really enjoyed uh 2019's A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood uh but like in in Tom Hanks was back at the Oscars for like I think the first time since Castaway for that one yeah uh and I but like I thought he was really good in that but as far as something where like he's like the main character uh and like clearly the the lead actor uh I yeah I mean I think just like basically since uh uh, I mean, I, I, Charlie Wilson's war was like entertaining and that was almost 15 years ago at this point. So it's like, I think I, I would agree with Joe and that like, uh, Captain Phillips is pretty clearly like his, uh, best lead performance of the last 15 years. And I'd be curious to see if, uh, if you have a chance to get to it, Fred, uh, I'd be curious to see what you think about it. Cause like, I think people will be pretty blown away if you're have a pretty, if you have one idea in your mind of what, like a two, uh, 21st century Tom Hanks performance is since, or anything that came out since Castaway, I think like Captain Phillips is, uh, pretty moving in that regard and oh and a great bark brought opti performance uh where he kind of bursts yeah. onto the scene and he's had a couple he's popped up in a couple things since i thought he was very good in uh 2016's eye in the sky but hasn't done a ton uh, and he was in good time too but like i it, it was really cool to see the two of them act in that and i second joe's recommendation i will recommend promising young woman which i was supposed to have a podcast on this week and uh due to some technical difficulties that podcast has been lost to time uh though i might have another one as we get closer to award season because that one uh has a chance to be like a one of the more you know interesting different non-traditional oscar type of movies to maybe get some oscar love it seems like it'll definitely get a uh, screenplay nomination for Emerald Fennell, who people might know as the person who played Camilla Parker Bowles on The Crown, and a Best Actress nomination for Carrie Mulligan, but it remains to be seen if it'll be an Oscar player beyond those, but it's like a uh, really good movie about a uh, woman who wants to get revenge on some uh, men and women who have uh, done, done wrong by other women, and I'll, I won't say anything more, but like it's a pretty incredible first trailer if you want to, but that doesn't give away a lot, much more than that, if you want to be hooked, and it's really good, and uh, probably the one thing I've seen recently that uh, would break my top 10. It's just y'all are going to have to wait a little bit longer to hear more in-depth podcasts on it because of me not being very good at clearing space on my computer. And I'll leave it at that. Uh, Fred, uh, if people want to follow you on Letterboxd or anywhere else, where can they do that? Yes, please follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, my name on Letterboxd is Fred Kolb, F-R-E-D-K-O-L-B. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter if you want. That's Fred the German. Um, I don't really talk about movies on there, but um, 
I do post content now. I just uh, got back into it recently. So <laughs> feel free to give me a follow there as well. Yeah, Joe, what about you? Do you have anything you want to plug? Uh, if you just want uh, pained takes on the Atlanta Braves, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe <laughs> underscore Morgan. As usual, I'm Josh Renovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-I on both Twitter and Letterboxd. Podcast Twitter is at RewindMoviePod. Podcast Gmail is TheRewindMoviePod at gmail.com. Thanks to everyone for listening. Coming up next, I'm honestly not sure exactly what it's going to be, but we will have uh, something next week. So uh, thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks again to Fred and Joe for joining, and we'll see you next time.